This is The Guardian. I'm Jane Lee, coming to you from Wurundjeri Land, and this is The Full Story. Last week, after months of speculation about how much power an Indigenous voice to Parliament could have, the Albanese government's referendum working group has agreed on the words that would enshrine a voice into the Australian constitution. Now it's up to Peter Dutton to declare his party's position on the voice, with new pressure coming from his former cabinet colleague. Unless we change, Australia will have this conversation in 50 years' time. And we're about to look back to this period and say, we had the chance, but we didn't take it. Today, Guardian Australia's Indigenous Affairs Editor, Lorena Allam, explains what voters are being asked to decide and how your answer will affect the lives of Indigenous Australians. It's Tuesday, the 28th of March. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. So, Lorena, last week, the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, announced the wording of the referendum question. It's been a long time coming and it was quite an emotional moment. I'm here to change the country. And there's nowhere more important than changing the country, than changing our nation's constitution to recognise the fullness of our history. So I want this done for Indigenous Australians, but I want it done for all Australians. What do you think was underlying all of this emotion in the room? I think his emotion is genuine. I mean, he really does believe that this is something important that the country can do. And he, I think, wants to be the Prime Minister who makes a difference. Watching him, I saw his idol, Bob Hawke, at work as well, a very popular working class prime minister who appeals to the masses, who's got enormous political capital and who is promising to do something with that. Um, he's also got a very red country as well, a very Labor-friendly Labor country on his side here. The other thing he's got on his side is a fully supportive cabinet. He said, you know, we're all in. And what that has meant is that the working group has been able to negotiate something really useful with him. Mm. And, I mean, 
Jane, it was just an incredible moment. After so many years of Aboriginal people being sidelined and mainstreamed and ignored and all of the hard, long years of the intervention, we now saw on the podium alongside our new Prime Minister this incredible group of Indigenous leaders, who most of whom had spent their whole lives fighting in this space for change. The people who stand with me on this stage uh, I regard as a, uh, a great privilege to be standing uh, with the giants of Australia. Um, I don't know if I had their experience in life that I could be as generous and as modest in my request. Um, and so you saw on the stage people like Senator Patrick Dodson, uh, who was a, a commissioner in the Royal Commission into Deaths in Custody in 1991. Uh, Professor Marcia Langton, who was also involved in that Royal Commission, she was also a commissioner for the Bringing Them Home Inquiry. Megan Davis, who's a constitutional lawyer. Linda Burney, who's spent her life in this space. And we believe that we, um, we have history on our side and we are absolutely committed to uh, the referendum. Who, as a young woman, was a teacher and spent many years advocating for Aboriginal education in New South Wales in the beginning of her career. There is, uh, collectively on this stage, we've been around a very, very long time. We've seen the good and the bad. This is good. So it was just in a really, it was a moment for the nation uh, and a lot of people were overwhelmed by that. But you know the sad part is, with these files, all those old, older leaders who have been fighting for reform and change will be gone. The day after, I spoke to the former Liberal Indigenous Australians Minister, Ken Wyatt, who is also on the referendum working group, and he said some incredibly emotional things about how he was feeling on the day. You look at the leadership that was on that podium yesterday, there's about nine of us that will be gone within the decade because based on our health track records, um, we will die younger than many of our Australian counterparts. So we won't see it if it's a no. At this press conference, we learned finally the question that Australians will be asked when they vote on a referendum on The Voice later this year. A proposed law to alter the Constitution to recognise the First Peoples of Australia by establishing an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice. Do you approve this proposed alteration? That's the question before the Australian people. Nothing more, but nothing less. Okay, so let's turn to the words that the working group has decided would be inserted into the Constitution if Australians vote yes at the upcoming referendum later this year. The first line is, quote, in recognition of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the first peoples of Australia. And after that, there are three sentences. So let's step through them. The first sentence goes like this, quote, there shall be a body to be called the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice. 
What does that mean? So what that does is enshrine in the constitution the obligation on parliament to create an Indigenous voice, an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice. But all the details of that voice, the form and the function, are to be worked out by parliament. It gives parliament the power to do that. Mm. The second proposed amendment goes to what that body would do, and it says, quote, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice may make representations to the Parliament and the Executive Government of the Commonwealth on matters relating to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. So that part means that the voice will be able to speak to not just the Parliament, but also to Cabinet on matters that are of importance to an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. And that is everything from housing, water supply, education, native title, you know, things that that, uh, affect Aboriginal people's daily lives. Mm. Executive government is important, but this is the bit that constitutional lawyers have been fighting over. And I have to say I'm no constitutional lawyer and so I'll just try and make this really simple as I understand it. Executive government is ministers but also public service. And, and that advice from The Voice can come at any time. It can be sought by government, but it can also be offered by The Voice. So if the members of The Voice are concerned or um, want to have some say over a national housing policy, then that would be something that they would make representations on. So that means that they can give advice on things that are important to them and weigh in on those matters. That's the key. That's the crux. That's right. So the voice can initiate advice. It doesn't wait to be asked. It can be very proactive. Mm. And so those two sections, I guess, Lorena, sum up what the body is and what it will do. But I think both of those things are limited by the third sentence that's been proposed, which is this, quote, The Parliament shall, subject to this constitution, have power to make laws with respect to matters relating to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice, including its composition, functions, powers and procedures. So what do you make of that section? So this is a great compromise, is the view of the members of the working group who spoke to me, that this is a a way of alleviating the concerns about the voice being too powerful and the threat of it tying up parliament in court challenges if governments and parliaments make decisions about legislation that they don't agree with. So it's a very broad power and open to interpretation, but it really does underscore that parliament remains supreme and that it, it's obligated to have a voice, it's obligated to hear the, from the voice, mm. but it's not, it's, it's not operations bound. won't be, exactly. Yeah. It's advice. Okay. So it sounds like, Lorena, when you, when you look at all of these three sentences together, all they really do is create an obligation for the government to have a voice to parliament, that is to have Indigenous people's voices represented on areas that are of concern to them. But it also means that parliament is not bound by that advice. They have to hear it, but they don't have to act on it. Is that right? That's right. That's it in a nutshell, Jane. Lorena, you mentioned that the referendum working group essentially reached a compromise on these sentences in order to alleviate concerns that the voice could be too powerful. But since this wording's been released, Conservative constitutional lawyer Greg Craven, who is in favour of the voice, has said that he still has these concerns. He's argued that this form of words could actually lead to ongoing high court challenges to federal government decisions from members of the voice who are unhappy with those decisions. So what do you make of that argument and its impact on the upcoming campaign? 
So there are constitutional lawyers, constitutional conservatives who are alarmed about this form of words. They say that it does threaten to have governments tied up in litigation. But then there are other constitutional experts, including former High Court judges, who say that's not correct. Kenneth Hayne, who was writing in The Guardian last week, said that um, the courts can and do review decisions made by the executive. But the courts only look at whether the decision was lawfully made, not at the merits of the decision. Lorena, now that the question and the proposed amendments have been released, I suppose the campaigns on the yes and no vote will begin in earnest. What can we expect to see over the coming months? The campaigns will ramp up now. We have a question for the Australian people. We have the form of words that will be debated. That will go in a bill to the to the parliament and then there'll be a committee established, a parliamentary committee to take submissions and to look at that form of words. There'll be some negotiating with the, the crossbench and with the opposition about fine-tuning proposals. And then if parliament passes the bill, the campaign is on in earnest and there's I think three months, at least three months before the vote can be held. Next, how will opposition leader Peter Dutton decide the coalition's position on the voice to parliament? Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Opposition leader Peter Dutton has been talking down the voice for some time now, but he still hasn't officially declared the coalition's position on what the voice will be. What do you make of that? Well, I guess he, I mean, he said immediately after the announcement on Thursday that he still wants to see the detail. He still has questions that haven't been answered, even though I think the Australian Financial Review answered every single one of the 15 questions in an article in early February. So he's sticking to those talk, the talking points. He's saying he's not convinced. He's reserving his right to make a decision either way. I asked Ken Wyatt what he thought was behind this decision to stick to those 15 questions and to keep saying that they hadn't been fully answered. But unless we change, Australia will have this conversation in 50 years' time. And we're about to look back to this period and say, we had the chance, but we didn't take it. Mm. And we've got a leader like Dutton who on his 15 questions is using it as a smokescreen, I think if Peter was given the uh, the answers to the 15 questions in tablet form from Moses, he still would not accept them. But, of course, at some point he will have to make the call whether to formally oppose the voice or whether to allow his members a conscience vote either way. But the political landscape of Australia has changed significantly. Mm. As we now know, the only Liberal government left in Australia is in Tasmania. And they've all, all states and territory premiers and uh, chief ministers have already said they support the voice. So I think that there's a point coming very soon 
which Peter Dutton will have to make that decision. At that point, Dutton will have to decide whether he supports the voice and alienates the far right of his party um, and looks like he's just a joiner and loses all of the political authority that comes with standing strong. Or he opposes and looks like he's out of touch with the rest of the nation. And in fact, Ken Wyatt is now openly campaigning for the coalition to support a yes vote. And he also wants coalition MPs to have a conscience vote. So why is that? What is he saying here? Well, he was saying that constitutional recognition has been a a coalition policy for a really long time. Uh, It goes back to the Howard era and then it was continued under subsequent Conservative Prime Ministers, including Tony Abbott, Malcolm Turnbull and um, Scott Morrison. But also he said he wanted to point out that the coalition were the ones who negotiated the new refreshed Closing the Gap Agreement, which was something that Wyatt did in consultation with the state and territory leaders and the Aboriginal leadership uh, under Pat Turner. 51 different uh, Aboriginal organisations were involved in that, as well as all Mm. the state and territory leaders, as well as the federal government. So this is Wyatt saying it can be done. This is this is. The Closing the Gap Agreement, which is absolutely supposed to be focused on practical outcomes, is actually, Wyatt called it, the front end of the voice. Mm. So he's saying to his his colleagues, don't be alarmed, we've already done this. So then I did ask him whether he thought it would be a mistake for the Liberals to not offer bipartisan support to a referendum. Let me say this, it will be globally. One of the questions I get asked frequently, and the first was the BBC when I was first elected, and I had this from other countries as well. What's it like belonging as a member of the Australian Parliament in the most racist country? And I always diffuse that. And then the second question they've hit me with is how do you cope working in a racist party like yours? Wyatt has a really unique perspective. He's an, he's a Yamaji man who has been immersed in coalition policy for a long time. So, and and for him to be supporting the voice uh, means that he he obviously sincerely believes this will help. Um, and he he sort of points out that the best way to get change in communities is to ask people what they want and to involve them in the solutions. I had that played out in a conversation that I had with elders when Kuma Jay Walker, mm. uh, just after his death, I was up in Alice Springs and I met with the elders and I made reference to the representative bodies. They said, no, no, how do you know what we think? Who tells you? When do we get a chance to talk with you as a minister responsible for us about the issues that impact on our community all the time? He said, we talk to public servants, but that's not translated to you in the way that we're saying. So that's been one of the conundrums of this nation is that I don't see too many ministers, too many members of federal parliament sitting in the red dirt at the community level, spending a day with them, listening to them and hearing what their issues are and how they believe it could be resolved if they were given the opportunity to work with governments and with their agencies. But let me tell you, it works I want to turn now back to the press conference that we started this conversation with because it was it was really remarkable. There was a question at one point about how a voice to parliament would be different from previous 
Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander bodies such as ATSIC and, and the NIC. And a reporter suggested that these hadn't, quote, worked to improve Indigenous Australian lives. And Professor Marcia Langton took to the podium to answer, and I was really struck by what she said. It was very powerful what she said. It really cut through. And to paraphrase somewhat, the point she was trying to make was those bodies never really had a chance to operate. They never really had the authority to do what was needed and were at the whim of government. So you might have a fantastic organisation under one government and then they get voted out and the next lot come in and say, well, we don't want you anymore and kick you to the curb. And that has been the pattern of Indigenous affairs, as long as I can remember. Um, And so when Marcia got up to speak... Believe us, each one of us here has been involved in a major initiative. Including the Bringing Them Home Inquiry and the Deaths in Custody Royal Commission. And in each case, we have doggedly recommended changes to stop the deaths, the incarceration, the early deaths and the miserable lives. And it is so infrequently that our recommendations are adopted. And as she said, this was a... This is why we need a voice. A a voice enshrined in the Constitution cannot be done away with, and this is a line in the sand. We're here to draw a line in the sand and say this has to change, people's lives have to improve, and we know from the evidence that what improves people's lives is when they get a say, and that's what this is about. That was Professor Marcia Langton, one of the members of the Indigenous Voice to Parliament Working Group. And earlier you heard from Lorena Allam, Indigenous Affairs Editor for Guardian Australia. You can find our ongoing coverage of the debate on The Voice at theguardian.com. If you've got more questions about it, I highly recommend you check out Lorena's explainer. It's called What is the Indigenous Voice to Parliament? How would it work? And what happens next? And her exclusive interview with former Liberal MP Ken Wyatt is also a fascinating insight into why he's campaigning for the yes vote. It's called Ken Wyatt warns Liberals that opposing Indigenous voice could add to perceptions party is racist. We'll post links to both those articles on the full story page. This episode was produced by Alison Chan, Karishma Luthria, Miles Herbert and Daniel Simo, who also did the sound design and mixing, and myself. Our theme music is by Joe Koning. The executive producer for this episode was Miles Martignoni. I'm Jane Lee. Thanks for listening. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.